Hello and welcome to the Autism in Real Life podcast. In each episode, you'll get practical strategies by taking a journey into the joys and challenges of life with autism. I'm your host, Ilya Walsh, and I'm an educator and the parent of two young adults, one of which is on the autism spectrum. Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Um, In this episode, I really wanted to bring you some information that you're probably going to say... Why are you bringing this to us now? Isn't it a little bit late? Um, And I don't think so. So the topic for this episode is what is autism? And um, you're like, Ilya, shouldn't you have done this a little while ago? And I really don't think so. I think everything that uh, I've brought to you up to now has been a lot of information and a lot of great resources and some really great speakers, um, a lot of people sharing their experience. And I actually think it's a perfect time to kind of step into uh, looking at what is autism, what are all the different terms that people have talked about. And I know I did a little bit when I was doing my special ed sort of alphabet soup thing. Um, But I think it's uh, really important at this point to really look at what is the autism spectrum and what is an autism spectrum disorder as it is defined in the DSM-5. So a definition that I have that I think uh, really works um, is that uh, autism spectrum disorder refers to a group of complex neurodevelopment disorders characterized by repetitive and characteristic patterns of behavior and difficulties with social communication and interaction. And the symptoms have to be present from early childhood and affect daily functioning. And, you know, ASD occurs in all ethnicities, all races, all economic groups, so it does not discriminate. Um, And it is a lifelong disorder, and treatments and services can improve a person's symptoms and outcomes and ability to function. But there is no cure um, for autism. So I think, um, you know, that that's sort of a, a nice definition brought to you by the National Institute of Health um, that resonates with me. And, you know, something that um, a lot of people ask is, so, you know, um, you know, wh- why do we have autism? Like, where does it come from? And um, some things that we do know is that there has been a marked increase in diagnosis. So we know that one, it was one in 150 in the year 2000. And then according to the CDC in uh, April of 2018, the number was one in 54. And so that was two, a little over two years ago. Um, We're in 2020 now. So, um, and that was in uh, eight-year-olds receiving treatment. So that's a very narrow focus of people. So we know that that number is probably higher, but we don't know, you know, necessarily specifically what that number is. Um, 
But with those marked increases, um, you know, what causes autism? And the truth is we really don't know. Um, we know a few things. We know that there are some genetic markers for it. So it, it tends to be passed down in the family. Um, so if you, you know, maybe you don't see anyone, you know, maybe it's not mom, dad, a sibling, um, or maybe it's grandparents, or maybe it's aunts and uncles that you may or may not know. And so maybe, um, you know, it, it's somewhere in the tree. But generally, um, we do know that it is a genetic uh, pass down. Other things people talk about um, is, you know, maybe it's environmental, or maybe, um, you know, we talk about people saying that the maybe the food is different and the water is different or the air is different. Um, you know, those are all really just assumptions and we don't really know. Um, and, you know, there is this uh, incidence, that number that comes up that people talk about, that there are more males than females, four to one, according to the statistics. Um, however, you know, that's, that's a number that's thrown out there. Um, but I think it's really just that females are not being diagnosed the same way that males are. So I don't really think it's true that there are more males with autism. Um, I believe that it is equally, um, you know, it is not gender biased. It is actually um, that females are just being misdiagnosed or missed altogether. Um, and so, um, you know, in, in the future, I'll have podcasts about um, autism um, in women. And uh, we have a couple speakers coming up on that as well over the next couple months. Uh, but again, you'll hear four to one, but I don't really think it's four to one. I really think it is um, just that maybe it's diagnosed more in males than in females. So maybe I can say it that way instead. Um, and I think that number is shifting as well. Hi, this is Elia. Just wanted to let you know that SSG also offers trainings, consultations, and parent coaching. Uh, check out my offerings at thespectrumstrategy.com, and I'd love to hear from you. So, what else do we know about autism? Um, according to the DSM-5, um, there are a whole bunch of areas that get, you know, looked at when someone is looking to diagnose. To, uh, to diagnose. So I know um, we had Nancy Rusa uh, as a podcast guest in an earlier episode, and she talks about when they do their evaluations and their assessments, um, and also with uh, Kelly Challen, uh, there are different things that are, get looked at. And here are the things that get looked at. So we have social communication, we have restricted and repetitive behaviors. Um, and those two are really the primary areas that get looked at. And then from there on, um, the other layers that go into that are that the symptoms that we're noticing or the, you know, the challenges that we're noticing have to be present in early development um, and that the symptoms cause significant impairment to daily living. And we can't explain it better by other diagnoses such as global developmental delay or an intellectual disability. So those are separate diagnoses from an autism spectrum diagnosis. So with that said, um, 
social communication and restrictive repetitive behaviors get looked at with a little bit more of a lens from um, a clinician standpoint. And then they assess the severity level in each one of those. So, um, you know, some things here when we're talking about those different pieces, uh, it feels like a lot, but some of it is, you know, looking at um, what we already know about autism, right? So as we just said, it's a neurological disorder, a developmental delay um, that affects multiple areas. And if you've seen some of my other videos, I talk about uh, the multifaceted dimension of autism and all of the different areas that can be affected. Uh, it is also, you know, lifelong. So while we might um, bring in some strategies and bring in some tools and supports to help with some of the challenges that exist, uh, they may not, um, you know, they might be good strategies and they might work. But sometimes those strategies might sort of have an expiration date and you have to like start uh, something else or try something new. Um, but they are lifelong uh, challenges. And so they just might get, uh, they just might manifest in a little bit of a different way. Um, so uh, again, the areas that are affected kind of don't go away necessarily, but maybe we learn to better manage. Um, and maybe uh, we learn some really good tools and strategies, but sometimes they uh, might not always work uh, forever, right? So we might have to try new things. Um, there's also an impairment in social communication, um, and we'll talk about that in a second, the different facets of that, and a difference in how the brain processes information. Um, and so these, this is what autism is, and what is it not? It is not a mental illness, it's not a behavioral disorder, and it's not an emotional disorder. Now, with that said, that's not to say that um, some people won't have those other areas of challenge. So there might be a coexisting or a co-occurring mental illness diagnosis, or maybe there is a behavioral disorder, or maybe there is an emotional disorder. Um, but that in and of itself is not what's part of uh, autism specific. Um, it, it would be an additional diagnosis. So someone would have to look at that in, a, in an additional lens. Um, so what we focus on is this piece of being uh, a developmental delay and that it affects multiple areas of development and that it is lifelong. And those different areas, um, if we look at the social communication lens, um, what we notice is that there are all different facets to social communication, right? So we have social-emotional reciprocity. Um, and then we have self-advocacy, which also comes from self-awareness. We have um, emotional regulation, which is also part of the social-emotional piece. Um, and maintaining, developing, and understanding relationships. I mean, I think that bubble alone, right, is it's, is a, has its all of the different layers, many different layers that we could look at. Um, and then nonverbal communicative behaviors. So, um, you know, maybe, you know, in one example, you could have uh, a child climbing over um, their parent to access something um, or maybe using their parent's hand to reach for a particular item that they want instead of reaching for it themselves. And that's a nonverbal behavior. They're not necessarily saying anything. Um, so we're but they are communicating. So that is one thing to look at. Um, and so. That's just one little example here. 
Um, but if we look at the other piece, so we had the social communication bucket and all the pieces that fall under that. And then we have repetitive and restrictive behaviors. And if you look at that piece, um, there are also multi pieces, you know, multiple pieces that fall under that. So we have motor movements, we have inflexibility, we have sensory sensitivities, and fixated interests. So if we look at all of these, and we've been talking about some of these over the last few podcasts, um, if we talk specifically about motor movements, um, we're t- you know, we just had a podcast with Autism uh, Fitness, and their whole focus is on building this particular area, which is gross motor, fine motor, visual, spatial. Um, now, those particular areas can affect so many different things, um, but what they do really helps to kind of fine tune some of that. And again, a strategy, a tool that we can use to help um, kind of fine tune maybe some areas of challenge with motor movement. Things that we think about when we talk about inflexibility, um, maybe there's this very strict uh, need to stick to routines um, that can't be changed, (laughs) Um, at least not with a lot of notice perhaps, which could be a strategy. Um, And then transitioning. So maybe there's transitioning from one activity to another, one class to another, Uh, maybe one person to another or one location to another. So those can be challenging for someone uh, with autism. And then the other piece could be theory of mind. So theory of mind is really what what some people might also call perspective taking. So, um, you know, maybe what I think is in my head, um, you know, most of us know that not everybody thinks the same way we do, um, but sometimes there can be little pieces with people diagnosed with autism, where they might not always recognize that what's in their head is in what's some, in someone else's head, or that they might not always understand what the other person is thinking or where they're coming from. So this kind of can get a little overlapped with the social communication piece, and you'll see how sometimes these things sort of uh, blend together. Um, but when we, we talk about theory of mind, that's what we're talking about. Think of it as perspective taking. And another piece is the sensory sensitivities. Now, we've talked about working with occupational therapists, um, and a lot of the work that an occupational therapist might do is sensory processing work or maybe sensory integration work. So we might hear those terms. Um, But with someone diagnosed with autism, the areas that will get looked at uh, during an assessment would be sensory-seeking behavior. So maybe this is where you'll see Uh, someone might want a really tight hug, like super squeezy hug. Um, And you might see sensory averse behavior where you might see that someone really doesn't like to be touched at all. Um, Or maybe at certain times it's like, no, right now I I can't be hugged. So we have the opposite extreme there. Um, And this can happen in the same person, by the way. (laughs) So um, it could be that Someone, you know, one day really needs that super tight hug and some days it's like, nope, I really can't do that right now. Um, And then also with sensory sensitivities, it's really bringing in um, outside input, right? So sensory input that comes in through all of the senses. So maybe it's too much, too many lights, uh, too many people, too many voices, um, you know, too many uh, 
sort of things on the body. So maybe, you know, we talk about the tags and the clothes and things like that. So, um, you know, this is where that comes from. So some people might be sensitive to those things. And also having to take in all of that information and then synthesize it, uh, you know, can sometimes be challenging. The other piece here we talked about is fixated interests. And so when we're looking at it from the DSM-5 perspective, they talk about uh, fixated interests that are abnormal in intensity, um, almost obsessive, I guess we would say. Uh, and they can be distressing in changing the focus. So you would actually cause distress um, when taking away or when removed from whatever that fixated interest is. So this is where we talk about special interests. And I have a couple podcasts and did a whole um, conversation with Tony Atwood about, uh, you know, special interests and why they are so important um, for those with autism. But as a diagnostic criteria, it would get looked at as, does this person uh, have fixated interests of, you know, we would say abnormal intensity, but they really can get very consumed um, and, you know, it can overtake their time. So um, when I talked with Tony Atwood, we talked a lot about that and we talked about when it, um, when it works <laughs> and when sometimes it doesn't work. Um, and then there are additional impacts of uh, an autism diagnosis. There is anxiety, there might be um, executive functioning challenges, and also working memory challenges. And um, these three are also can be very large areas of impact. Um, they may not necessarily be part of the diagnostic criteria, um, but we definitely know that I just, at least I know from everyone that I've worked with, um, anxiety is a huge component of being on spectrum. So do we know whether that uh, the anxiety is because of maybe sensory challenges or transition challenges uh, or maybe not being able to understand the social environment? Yeah, perhaps. Perhaps that is one reason why uh, anxiety is heightened. Or is anxiety um, an additional diagnosis where it's just generalized anxiety or maybe there's something else that... Uh, you know, we're not aware of. And I also have a whole other uh, talk that I will share with you on co-occurring um, diagnoses with autism. And we can uh, really kind of delve into um, the different areas. And you can see how the nuances sort of overlap and it can get a little muddy and a little confusing and why it can be um, difficult for clinicians to know what the right path is to take working with our folks or um, knowing what the right strategies um, can be. So, you know, that's, that's for another conversation for sure. Um, but uh, I think knowing that anxiety is a huge part of being on spectrum is super important. Um, and then executive functioning. When we talk about executive functioning, we might see the uh, the backpack that's sort of, you know, overflowing with stuff, or maybe it's the locker or desk that looks like it's kind of throwing up at you. Um, but it can also be how to organize your thoughts. It can also be how to organize writing. 
Um, it can also be carrying out various tasks um, and following multi-step processes. So um, that is another area. Now, if we have a student, let's say, who has trouble following multi-step directions, and now they are trying to complete a task, but they can't, can that heighten anxiety? Yeah, I think it can. So then if it heightens anxiety, then it's it the executive functioning or is it that the child is anxious? All of it, maybe. Um, so again, this is where it kind of all overlaps. And then working memory, um, perhaps not being able to remember information close, uh, like new information, and then being able to apply it, right? So this is where we talk about um, our kid, our kiddos might not need to see things over and over and over again. And it was interesting. I actually just did a, a podcast that you will you would have heard also Autism Fitness talking about how, um, you know, you'll have to take time and be patient and do things um, and understand that things will have to be repeated over and over and over again. So this is the practice, practice, practice piece. Um, so that is working memory. And other areas that we think about, um, you know, we want to just not talk about all the areas of challenge, right? We also want to look at what are strengths. And, you know, an individual with autism has a unique sense of humor. Many are, you know, people can be so funny. They look at things in a very different way and can really target, um, a perspective that we might not normally see. So I really love that. Uh, very detail-oriented. So if we talk about that fixated interest and we look at it as, wow, they're really detail-oriented, um, wow, we could actually, you know, have that be a strength and not necessarily something that takes them away from doing what we think they should do. I should put that in quotes. Um, honest, uh, fair, and just, those all kind of come together. Um, because of this, you know, lack of social filter, maybe we would say, um, you know, pretty much you, what you see is what you get. You might, uh, you know, hear uh, some feedback or language that is very transparent. Um, and the other thing is, is they expect transparency back. So it's really a beautiful way of interacting with someone when they are giving you their transparency and their vulnerability. Um, and they expect that back. And so uh, I find that, you know, very refreshing. <laughs> um, and, you know, through that, there is a desire to connect with other people and really want to build relationships. So when we've heard, you know, I, I've heard people say that those uh, on spectrum really don't want to be with other people. They really don't want friends. You know, that's really not true. <laughs> I think where it is, is that there is a challenge in um, knowing how to make friends, perhaps, or knowing how to maintain friendships. Um, and so we're human. Everybody wants to connect and everybody wants to feel accepted and um, part of something else. And uh, I think just sometimes for those with autism, it can be just more challenging because they might not always know how or they might not know how to read those social cues that we've talked about. So you know, I think um, all of that, uh, coupled with uh, strong intelligence and whatever their special interests are. And when we uh, talked with, you know, Tony Atwood, he talked about 
people building careers on that and people being able to be professors and write books and solve you know, major problems because of being able to have that intense focus. So again, I, I really also want to always emphasize the strengths and you know, my approach as an educator, as a parent, um, and as a trainer is always strength-based. Um, and so if we look through the lens of strengths, then, you know, I think that would be, we'd all be better served with everyone, right, if we looked at everyone through the strengths lens. Um, so, I mean, I think for now, I think that is a good overview of what autism is. Uh, another piece that I will bring is um, the DSM-5 criteria. I have uh, another talk I'm going to do where, we, where I kind of delve into more of the nuances around that and what gets looked at um, when diagnosing. So I hope this was helpful for you. Please leave me any comments. I'd love to know what else um, comes up for you and what else you've thought of um, and what I've missed, because I really love to hear from other people's perspectives uh, what else, you know, people experience, what else have they seen, what else have they heard. So please, please reach out to me and um, I will talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to Autism in Real Life. This is Elia Walsh, and if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. I also offer training, consultations, and parent coaching, and would love to help you in any way that I can. You can check out my offerings at thespectrumstrategy.com, and when you join my email list, you can get a code to receive a discount off of an online class or a coaching session. Looking forward to hearing from you. Take care and see you next time.